Good morning. As Mark said, my name is Ben. Uh, like a decade ago, I interned here, and um, the church that uh, I'm a part of, Awake Church, is just over the hill on the other side of Greenwood, uh, and um, I was pastor there up until about a year ago, still a part of that community with my wife and my family, including my son Jackson here, and, um, but I'm not the lead pastor there anymore. I'm, I'm serving in some other capacities, so uh, I get, a, get to sneak out of there and join you this morning. Uh, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to, or have a phone, or however you read the Bible, um, you could turn to Luke 7. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 23. Uh, we actually don't have a slide this morning. That's because, this, because I told Mark this morning I was going to change my sermon. Um, I was feeling led to this, this other... This other passage, um, and I think based on what we've already been spending our time doing this morning, this one actually really does seem like it fits better with some of the themes we're exploring. So while you're looking, we'll come back to that, but uh, maybe just take a moment to check in with how you're doing, how are you feeling this morning. Parents, you should be doing great. Your kids slept in an extra hour, so everyone should be fine. Um, But I want to begin with a story. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, a good friend of mine, Nick, uh, who is a, uh, an associate pastor at a church in Southern California, uh, called me and shared this uh, really interesting story. So one of the things Nick does at his church is he's the guy who, you know, after church, they, if they fill out contact cards, um, like guests write something in or write a prayer, Nick gets those, they get put on his desk, and then he sorts through them and he looks at them and Anyone, I used to do that here at Sanctuary. Anyone who's done that, it's, it's a mixed bag. Like, it's great because you, you get to, oh, there's someone new, maybe to your prayer request, but it's also sometimes feels a little tedious. Like, I'd rather just connect with you in person than read a card. That being said, if you need to fill out a card and turn one in, go for it. Um, so that's one of Nick's roles. Um, well, one particular morning, um, he, this, this is a story that comes out of a card that was filled out. So there's a 60-year-old Native woman in this town, Redlands, California, and she wakes up one morning, it's a Sunday morning, and she's had, she's had like a vision or a dream. And in her vision, this voice says to her, this figure says to her, go to the river and meet the great physician. Go to the river and meet the great physician. Now this woman, she doesn't have a church background, she's not a Christian, but she's a spiritual person, so she's open to these kinds of moments. And she decides to get in her car that morning. And, uh, you know, Redlands, if you've ever been there, it's got like some of the, or- the oldest orange groves in California. So there, there's got to be water somewhere. There actually is a river. The Santa Ana River runs through Redlands. So maybe she's headed there. Who knows? Maybe she thinks she's going to meet someone by the river. But on her way, driving around, she sees in the corner of this one intersection, it says, the river church, Christian Reformed church, the river. She's like... <laughs> She pulls over in the parking lot, and it just so happens church is going on at this point. So she comes in, and she's there for songs and a sermon and whatnot. Well, afterwards, uh, she goes up to the pastor, and she's like, thanks for your talk. Uh, you know, I'm visiting here. I just have a question for you. Uh, is, there, is, is there a physician here? Is there a physician? Remember her vision said, go to the river and meet the great physician. Is there a physician? And the pastor's like, oh, let me think here. Yeah, well, I see Laura's dad. So Dr. Hoffman, he's, he's here. Um, maybe there's a nurse or two. Maybe there's a cardiologist. He names a few things. Uh, and the woman's like, okay. So she fills out her contact card, and, and she leaves. 
couple days later, Nick with a strong cup of coffee, cup of coffee is looking through the, the cards. Okay, he's got to go through these cards. And he sees this story, he ends up reaching out to this lady, which is how he hears this. But first of all, he looks and he says, sees this thing about this vision of go to the river and meet the great physician. And so he starts asking around the staff in the church about this interaction, the interactions with this woman. And he, and, and he finally just says, he's like, did anyone tell her about Jesus, the great physician? No, nobody told her about Jesus, the great physician. Everyone talked about all these other types of physicians. Did anyone tell her? No, nobody told her about Jesus, the great physician. Now, um, the great physician, perhaps you haven't heard this before, is a title that, that throughout church history is often used to describe who Jesus is. Uh, and this passage today captures that idea. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. This is in uh, Luke 7. John the Baptist has these, his own disciples. And it says this, he, John's disciples told him about all these things. And calling two of them, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? If you remember, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness, had this call to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of God's anointed one. And he did so with a fair amount of fire and brimstone, right? So maybe John is seeing this Jesus stuff unfold, and it's not matching what he was talking about. Um, So so he's kind of wondering. He, He sends out these people for confirmation. And Jesus answers them. It says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So in other words, in response to this question from John's disciples, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Jesus says, look around. Look around. What do you see? Do you see healing? Because I am the great physician. So when you see healing, you know that I am here, that my kingdom is coming, that my reign is present. So bouncing back to the story about the woman who went to the river to meet the great physician. By the way, she's been hanging around that church and, and is, is set to be baptized here soon. Um, and there's all sorts of other fascinating elements to that story. Uh, I love that story because I love like a good mystical Holy Spirit story that reminds us all, right? Like, why are we here? Like, we, let's wake up and remember there's more going on here. God's spirit moves in mysterious ways. So I like it for that reason. But I think it's really important for another reason this morning. And, and, and I think it exposes something about the church in many ways. And it's this. Why isn't anyone talking about the great physician? Why aren't re, we remembering first and foremost that, that at the core of who Jesus is, Jesus is the healer. Jesus is not just on one side like this compassionate, justice-oriented social worker type. Nor is Jesus on, on some other side just like something we plug into some equation for our salvation. Uh, around all of that and before and above and in, in between all of that is this reality that the core of who Jesus is, Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the great healer. And the truth is that applies to every 
area of our lives. I'm not sure about you, but when I check in with my heart these days, and so I'm, I'm, this, is, this is personal, so this is not for you to take as I'm making political statements here or there, but when I check in and I, I hear this stuff about alternative facts and political polarization and Muslim bans and talk of border walls, I find my heart filling with anxiety, with weariness, and honestly with hatred. That's what I find. And so this morning, I, I come here as someone who desperately needs to be reminded that Jesus is the healer. So I invite you, along with me this morning, to remember and receive Jesus, the great physician. To remember and receive Jesus, the great healer. Now, there's a lots, of, lots of ways we could do this. And we could, we could just go through here, look at the New Testament especially, and we could just like, point out verse after verse that will share a story about Jesus, the great healer. Uh, we sang in a song this wonderful thing, like basically, the, remember the promise, remember the stories, Jesus is making all things new. We could go here, and we need to do that. That's where it's all rooted. But this morning, I actually want to invite you to consider other stories about Jesus, the great healer. I want to consider your own personal history with this Jesus, the healer. Now, as I say that, first of all, just acknowledge your own hesitancy to answer that question. Does that sound too abstract? Maybe it makes you a little anxious because it feels like you're not meeting Jesus through Scripture. Maybe it's too much about experience. Maybe it's a confusing question. But that's what I'd, I'd like to kind of encourage us to enter into that space, to remember the stories of Jesus the healer in our own lives. In a moving article for Sojourners called Who Is This Jesus?, a Belden Lane, who has been interestingly described as a Presbyterian minister who teaches Jewish stories at a Roman Catholic university, <laughs> he recalls his long journey of following Jesus. This is what he writes. Who is this Jesus who rattles my cage and rumbles through the history of my life? This contradictory figure who proves an embarrassment and stumbling block to my mind, but who won't go away. Who is this Jesus? He keeps outgrowing and yet building upon all my inadequate, inadequate images of the past. Can anyone else here relate to that? This idea of Jesus showing up in your life and in different seasons, but, but this view of Jesus changes over time. It expands. Jesus is bigger now than you first knew Jesus to be. Belden Lane then goes on to name all of the different contexts that Jesus has shown up in his life, but I'll substitute some of mine. I remember uh, being a sweaty preteen at a summer Bible camp, singing my heart out to heaven is a wonderful place. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And then the, the desk camp, the ladies, heaven is a wonderful place. Filled with... Anyone remember it? And so I remember singing my heart out to that. And I will tell you, I, I, I met Jesus there. And I can remember being a 19-year-old in a, a rural Mayan village in Mexico where only two people spoke Spanish. And I was there with someone else to teach vacation Bible school. Think about that for a second. Vacation Bible school in a rural Mexican village. Something seems off about that. Um, but I remember Jesus showed up, not in my teaching, not in my teaching, but in this moment where I felt 
uh, alone. I was away from my family, my first summer away from, from my parents. And um, I remember sitting on this dirt road outside the, the little hut I was staying in. And I'm thinking of what we do in Milwaukee in the summer. We go to Brewers games. We go to baseball games. And I find myself thinking of all that entails, like, like uh, you know, tailgating and, and peanuts and all this stuff. And I'm kind of craving peanuts. And suddenly this, like, this, like squeaky wheeled bike comes down the road. And this guy's saying, this, this like, teen is yelling, cacahuates, cacahuates. And there's no one there. There's no one there. And I'm like, cacahuates, what's that? He stops and he opens this little thing. And he shows me he's got bags of peanuts. In that moment, honestly, I, I believe Jesus like met me in this strange way, in this moment of loneliness, through, through a bag of cacahuates, peanuts. I remember Jesus in the, in the Reformed church I grew up in. And then there's the Jesus of my um, charismatic college prayer group, where I experienced certain gifts of the Spirit for the first time. There's the, the seminary Jesus, which uh, we could talk about, but I'll, I'll let Chris, uh, I'll let Matt do that later, Matt Caring. Um, there's... There's the Jesus of the early days of Awake Church who met me at the Starbucks right up here at, at Oak Tree when we didn't have people and we didn't have money. We just had a dream. And there's a Jesus who met me later across the parking lot from that space at Core Power Yoga after a season of immense burnout. And I felt Jesus healed me in that space. There's Jesus weeping with our church when we suffered intense loss. There's, there's Jesus with the community here when the green bean burned down. There's Jesus reconciling us to one another through times of immense conflict. There's Jesus of the Aurora Commons, which actually is open from 10 to 1, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so you can still go meet over there. But there's this one big Jesus who rattles my cage and rumbles through the history of my life, and rumbles through the history of, of your life. Try as I might, I cannot deny this personal healing presence, a healing presence that has continually pursued me, pursued you, pursued us. And how about you? Where has this Jesus who rattles your cage and rumbles through the history of your life shown up? I invite you actually even just close your eyes perhaps for a moment. And it may be in, uh, in the rushing, roaring wind or it might be in still small ways. Where has this Jesus shown up throughout all the plot twists and turns of your life? Jesus, we just remind us. So, in, in the community that I'm a part of, and actually this is, this is probably true of a lot of, uh, like, I'm not a millennial, I'm Gen X, I guess. I'm right on the edge there. Um, but a lot of younger people, right, are, in, are doing a lot of deconstructing around faith, asking a lot of questions about church, about gospel, about Christianity. And that, that's marked our church awake. And I think that's really critical. And so if you're here and, and that's, that's the space that you're part of sanctuary, you come here with that, you, you are welcome here. Um, this is a safe place for that. Um, but in some ways, a narrative of deconstructing and questioning, like we're the ones doing that, I feel like it isn't quite right. I think there's something about that narrative that actually sells Jesus short. And this is what I mean, that this is not, when we look back at our lives and we start to question our previous experiences in the church or understandings of God, this isn't so much about a story of subtraction. It's a story of addition. So it's not about saying, well, I know Jesus now, and my faith looks this way, and I identify as a Christian in these sorts of ways, and forget all that other stuff. There's actually a sense in which the Jesus we know, these images of the past, though inadequate, 
point their way to being part of a, a big Jesus who keeps outgrowing and building upon all of our previous understandings and experiences of who Jesus is. So part of what this means is that as we look back at our stories, which for many of us, I, we could call them, characterize them like a Jesus-haunted story. Sometimes I show up, I'm, you know, in this church world, I'm like, why am I still here? Well, because Jesus keeps showing up again and again in my life. But we look back and we see these, these Jesus-haunted stories, and part of it, sometimes we want to dismiss what's back there. Forget that. I can't, oh, I did that? Or it's like reading your journal from five years ago. You're like, I wrote like that? That's really weird. We want to get away from it. Because maybe they feel juvenile or limited. But the truth is, we cannot scrub those stories and those experiences of Jesus from our past. We can't edit them out. Even if they come in messy contexts. Because the reality is that in those experiences, again and again, we, we need to preserve them because Jesus so often has shown up in my life, in your life, as the healer. And so to delete or edit out some of that stuff, we start to have a limited perspective of all that God has done in our lives through the person of Jesus. When we examine our Jesus-haunted histories, we see Jesus showing up again and again as the great healer. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Doesn't that gospel account line up with the Jesus we recognize in our own histories? This Jesus that shows up in suffering. This Jesus that has showed up in moments of pain in your life. The Jesus who's shown up in moments of loss and confusion and disorientation. The Jesus who shows up in these moments of God-forsakenness. Again and again, this, these stories of our own life are consistent with the scriptural story in which Jesus shows up ultimately on the cross. Where he dies for our sins and brings about the ultimate healing from the sicknesses of sin, death, and evil through his resurrection. Now, why is it so critical that, you know, we don't just go here and remember Jesus the healer, but we somehow stay in tune with the stories in our own lives? I think it's because we have, there's a lot at stake right now. There's a lot going on. And, and while text informs us, we need the spirit to take those stories of Jesus the healer from our past and inspire us forward with them, to encourage us to keep going, to persevere. And there's two specific areas that I want to highlight in terms of ways that, that I want to encourage you to receive healing. And again, I speak primarily to myself about these places we need to receive the presence of Jesus, the healer. And this is the first one. We need to be healed from our dehumanization of those we disagree with. We are so polarized right now, are we not? In our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our country. And I'm going to state this a little more strongly. We need to be healed from our dehumanization of those we disagree with. I think we actually need to be healed from our hatred of others. A few, a few weeks ago, this was like the week after, again, this is my personal narratives here, but after the election, I was feeling, after the Trump inauguration, I, I just was feeling the results of what I felt was some traumatic, it was sort of traumatic. Um, and I realized that I had to name something. That I, in that moment, that I, I hate, I hate Donald Trump. I'm not being political here, I'm telling, like the hatred, and I'm not proud of it. I needed to be healed of this hatred. 
You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The way of Jesus is not unique because it calls us to love our neighbor. That's, that's not unique. The call to love our neighbor is not extraordinary. What is extraordinary about the way of Jesus is that it calls us to this challenging and seemingly impossible task, and that is the task of enemy love. So whether it's your enemy is a Democrat or Republican, whatever your enemy is, we're called to love our enemies. It doesn't mean uh, not disagreeing, doesn't mean not speaking up, doesn't mean just being silent, but it means that we have to find a way, even in our disagreement and in our, our advocacy our, against something, we have to find a way to be fueled, not by hate, but by the love of God in Christ. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If I advocate for justice, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I protest and march and do whatever, but have not love, I have nothing. If I send out some really good tweets, but have not love, I am nothing. So friends, we need to be healed from our dehumanization of those we disagree with and instead be fueled by God's grace to practice enemy love. And and here's the, the other area I feel like we need some healing. Again, first in line here. We need to be healed from our addiction to a concoction of apathy, self-concern, and I'll throw in greed and too much Netflix. (laughs) Professor and writer Christina Cleveland writes in a blog post, she's an African-American woman, she says, I, like many women of color, have experienced an inordinate amount of trauma over the course of my life. Even when I reminisce about my childhood, I can't remember a time when the world seemed safe or essentially good to black girls like me. Due to my intimate experience with systemic pain and trauma, the current state of the U.S. does not shock me. She goes on to say, but now racism, misogyny, and Islamophobia have violently ruptured the surface of America's collective conscious experience, like a volcano erupts and shoots scalding homicidal lava across the land. Many people are awakened. Many people are affected, many people are in pain, and many people are living with extreme fear and anxiety. Me too, she writes. So what many of us have been feeling, and I'm probably not alone here, um, though this might be new to us, some of this anxiety because of our current landscape, it is not new to most people. And it is not new to people of color, and it is not new to immigrants and religious minorities and LGBTQ people. These sorts of feelings of anxiety because of certain powers are not new to those people. They're especially not new to, I mean, they are new, though, in a lot of ways to to those of us who are, like, I'm a white, educated male. Those communities don't have an option to choose whether or not they will stay awake to the realities of our society right now. They don't get to choose. They're in it. But many of us who come from a place of privilege, it's almost like we have the luxury of engaging or disengaging. And so with each new day, we're more likely to slip into Netflix binging, uh, 
keeping ourselves busy by packing our kids' activity schedules, obsessing over making just a little bit more money, getting just a little more stability, or just one more nice vacation or dinner. We have all these things that sort of lull us into complacency and into uh, an environment of being settled. But that actually, I'm not saying don't rest, but the way of Jesus actually calls us into something else. And that's why we would need to remember where this great physician shows up again and again. As Belden Lane points out again later in this poem, he says, Jesus points me to a God who works from the underside of every system of power. He's a Jesus who bugs the hell out of me, uprooting my comfortable white, straight, male, middle-class values. He roams the streets with the homeless, far from the gilded crosses of suburban sanctuaries. My friends, I would suggest to you that this is part of how Jesus heals us. Jesus disrupts us from our, our, our comfort this Jesus the healer helps us, and I'll, this is the term in a lot of like um, kind of black Christian, black activist circles is Jesus helps us stay woke. I don't think it sounds right coming from me. So Jesus helps us stay awake. Jesus helps us stay awake to the pain and the suffering of others and the division in our society. So I invite you to receive Jesus and, and, and be healed from this addiction to apathy and greed and self-concern and too much Netflix and be empowered instead to extend costly, cross-shaped compassion. Cross-shaped, Jesus-shaped compassion to the most vulnerable among us. I'm sure there's other ways that, that you particularly in, in your life circumstance right now feel uh, that you need healing from Jesus the healer. And that may be a deeply personal thing. It may be interpersonal in a relationship. It may have to do with, with uh, these broader societal issues. Um, and we're going to have time here, actually in the, the room over there, we're going we're to share communion. And I think there's no more fitting time to both remember and receive Jesus the healer than in our celebration of communion together. But I want to I end with this. And actually, Mark read this passage earlier when he was speaking to Matt. said, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, oftentimes we, we do read this passage and it's, it makes good sense because it's all there. We, we get this sense of how do we go participate in God's mission? What does this mean for our church? How do we make disciples? How do we train people? What is our calling? These kinds of things, all very important. Um, that's what I usually focus on. But I want us just to close with this thought, and it's the very last line. Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. I have always been with you, Jesus said. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the healer. You heal us in your forgiveness that you give us. You heal us in the way that you lived and loved. 
you, you heal us in the, the way that you spoke truth to power, that you extended care to those on the margins. You heal us in the way that you call us to, to see your activity as being um, throughout all, all of society, that we're called to serve you in the places we live, work, and play. We all need healing in different ways right now. In fact, there's, there's ways that we need to be healed in our relationships with one another. So Jesus, would you give us your spirit and give us the courage and wisdom to step in and receive your healing and keep us aware of all the ways you've shown up throughout our stories. And may we be communities that remind one another of your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.